So for the past five weeks, we've been in a series that we've been calling Reply All. And on Easter weekend, we passed out a bunch of survey cards, and we asked you if you could hear any message, what would it be? So essentially, we had the people here in the audience choose the sermons. And we've gone through how do I hear God's voice, how do I navigate stress, and we've gone through all different big topics. Today, I want to take one that you guys asked, and I think that most Christians ask, but we don't regularly talk about, or we don't even like to admit that it is a struggle that we have. Um, And it's this, how do I know that I'm genuinely saved? How do I know that God is committed to me? Like, how do I know that I'm saved? How many of you guys have ever wrestled with this question? How do I know that I am really saved? So let me share a personal struggle with you. And I remember growing up as a church kid, um, I was at every camp. I was at every summer, whatever, extracurricular activity. My dad at the time had not planted a church, so he was traveling around, speaking all over the place. So I was in church, literally. It felt like I was born in church. And uh, I remember oftentimes in church, I never genuinely knew if I was saved. So every moment that the preacher, you know, started preaching about hell, I was at the altar, like, God, forgive me for every sin that I've ever committed. Every camp that I went to and they had another opportunity to get saved, I was like, God, just in case. Every sermon that the preacher would give and say, like, hey, if anybody wants to raise their hand and give their life for the Lord, it was like me every Sunday. Like the preacher could always count on one salvation. It was me. <laughs> it was like, so who wants to give their life? I'm like, well, I'm not really sure if I'm going to heaven or not. So just to be safe, you know, or I had a bad week this week. God, like, you know, you and I weren't that tight this week. So I just want to know. Here's the truth, though. There are certain risks and there are certain things in life that you will not do unless you are absolutely certain that God is committed to you. There are risks that you won't take. There are things that you won't move forward with because if you're not certain that God is with you, you will not move forward. So the best way that I can explain it, how many of you guys have ever been rock climbing? Anybody ever been rock climbing? There's two ways to rock climb. There's the smart way, and then there's the dangerous way. The smart way is to put on a harness, and you strap into a rope, and you start scaling this wall, okay? Now, when you're strapped into a rope, there are certain risks and maneuvers that you take. Maybe your arms are a little tired after climbing for a while. Maybe your legs are a little tired after climbing for a while, but you know, okay, you know what? I'm going to try to go reach that hole because if I miss it, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall, but that rope is going to catch me, right? So there's certain risks that you'll take. There's certain maneuvers that you'll do that you wouldn't normally do unless you were tethered to a rope. But then they have this other type of rock climbing that they call free soloing, where people go off and, has anybody ever seen the documentary on Hulu called Free Solo, this guy that scaled like this seven, 8,000 uh, foot, like almost vertical wall with no rope. He was absent, no rope, okay? So they, they have these guys that when they climb, their assurances are in all their training, their grip strength, their finger strength. But they're also aware of, if my muscles begin to tire out, there's certain maneuvers and there's certain risks that I cannot take. Why? Because if I miss, I'm falling. (laughs) If I miss, I'm literally falling to my death. And listen to me, the Christian life is exactly the same way. It's a lot like repelling and it's a lot like free soloing. 
If you are absolutely certain that God is with you, there's certain risks in life that you will take because you know that God is going to be with you in the next season. If you're not certain that God is with you, there's certain things that you will not do. There's certain things that you will not move forward with. And you will live a life essentially stuck at one spot because you're not certain that God is committed to you. There are things that you will never do. There's risks that you will never take. There's dreams that you have in your heart that God is trying to birth inside of you, but because you are unsure of his commitment to you, you won't take it. And the truth is, I want to help maybe clear up and clean up some confusion today. Because I don't want us stuck at this place where we're like, I'm not really sure if I'm saved. Well, I had a good week last week, so I'm pretty sure that God is, you know, we, him and I are tight. We're homies, we're buddies, you know, and we're, I'm going to heaven. And then you have a bad week and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm pretty sure that God's angry at me. And I got to work my way back into approval with the Father. I'll put it this way. I believe that the reason that some of us are so weak in our ability to say no to sin is because we're not sure of God's commitment to us. There's just certain risks that we will not take. There's certain things that we will not do. John 15, um, 9 puts it this way. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, why do I read this? Jesus, his entire time here on this earth, was never uncertain of the Father's commitment to him. The reason that Jesus could do all of the things that he did is because there was not a single place on earth that he went where he was unsure of the Father's commitment to him. He knew that he could walk into the most difficult places, be with the most difficult people, be seen with the most difficult situations, and no matter what, he knew that God was with him. There was never a doubt in his mind. He knew everywhere that he went that the father was going to be with him. When he was 40 days in the desert, he knew that the father was with him. When he was hanging there, dying on the cross, he knew that the father was with him. Do you see how this plays out and it actually affects our confidence though in our walk with the Lord? There's certain things that we don't do if we're not certain that God is with us. So the best way that I can explain it is I have kids and I use a lot of kids analogies because they're like a better part of my life, right? So I have a little girl, my oldest girl, who still, she's about six years old, but still has a little bit of tendencies to be afraid of the dark. And so every now and then, she'll wake up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom, and it's like this huge ordeal. Like, she's, it's, it's all of a sudden she wakes up, she opens her eyes, and it's like, oh my God, it's dark outside, panic, right? So usually when I hear her start freaking out, I'll kind of run in the room. And the last thing that you want to do when you have multiple kids is start flipping on lights. Because then you have a one-year-old or a two-year-old that's like, oh, it's daylight? I'm up, right? (laughs) That's what you don't want. So I usually run in and I'll grab her hand. It's still dark outside. And I said, dad is with you. It's okay. I'll lead you to the bathroom. And then I'll flip on the bathroom light, shut the door and let you do your thing. And I'll be right outside the door. All of a sudden, her insecurities instantaneously goes away as long as she's holding my hand, right? It's still dark. She's still afraid of the dark. But as soon as dad gets there, it's like, everything's gone, right? It is the same concept in our walk with the Lord. Could it be that we're stuck in our relationship with Jesus because we're actually not sure that the next season of life that we're entering into or the risks that we want to take or the dreams that we want to pursue, could it be that we're not doing them because we're actually not sure of his commitment to us? We wrestle. Well, I had a good week this week, so God's pleased with me. I had a bad week last week, so I had to earn my way back into salvation. So I want to give you three anchors of assurance 
three things that we can look at and go, you know what, if I made that decision to follow Jesus, that he's actually committed to me. So number one is this. Believe in the commitment that the Father has made. Meaning this, when you believe the gospel, God instantaneously gives you eternal life. God's not a father that says, hey, I'm going to give you this free gift of salvation with one hand behind his back crossing his fingers and say, but if you royally screw up, I'm going to take it away from you. And we have to remember this. Our salvation is based on the goodness and grace of God. There was nothing that we could do to earn it. He freely gave it to us. And I think tragically in so many churches across America and even across the world, we have turned salvation into like 87,000 steps that we have to take until we can actually be saved. When really all the steps that we're trying to get people to take are really the process of sanctification, meaning that when you receive salvation, that there is now a process that plays out to get you to look a little bit more like Jesus. I think the reason that most of us wrestle with our salvation and our security, though, is this. It's hard to imagine that we could be that wicked and he could be that good. Right? Because we live in a world that says, well, if you backstab me, well, I'm plotting my revenge on you. Right? Or if you do this to me, I'm going to do this back to you. It's hard to believe that we serve a God who is so good that he leans in and offers salvation to us even when we've been so wicked. It's hard to believe that because we live in a world of contingencies, right? I see this in my kids all the time. Well, I'll do your extra chore, but you got to pay me two bucks. (laughs) It's never like, you know what, I'll just wash the dishes for you because I love you, son. Like, my kids never do that. Maybe you have some angel kids. Mine, mine don't do that. It's not like, oh, you know, it's not like my oldest looking at my other one going, Isaac, I just love you so much. I'm going to take all your chores this week. He'd be like, well, how much am I getting paid? <laughs> right? There's always a contingency. But let me prove to you that salvation is not contingent on your good works. There's a story in, well, let me just read it to you. Uh, this is 1 John chapter 5, 10 through 13. If you could throw that slide up there. It says this, whoever believes in the Son of God, notice, whoever, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne coming his Son. Go to the next slide. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this is the life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you to who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What is he saying in all of this? Here's what he's saying. If you have salvation, there is a story that is beginning to unfold in your life. That God gives you a testimony that all of a sudden the desires that you used to have begin to change. That all of a sudden you have a story that begins taking place. You begin to think a little bit different. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that you act perfect and that you have this flawless performance and that you never mess up and you never fail. No, no, it doesn't mean perfection. It just means progress. And the progress may be very small, but it's still progress. So when you believe, God actually gives you a story. It begins to develop something deep inside of you that says, you know what, I used to be this way, but I'm slowly changing into not being this way. I used to think this way. 
key word that God wants us to understand in this passage is God wants you to know that once you believe in him, your eternity is secure. Now, we're going to clean this up in a little bit because I know we grew up in a culture that we believe that because we prayed a prayer at five or six years old that we're good, right? And now we can live however we want. And that's the opposite of the truth. And I'll talk about this at the end of the sermon. But I want you to know something. God is more interested in you knowing him than what you do for him. He is more interested in having a relationship with you than you being a good person. He's more interested in knowing your fears, your thoughts, your insecurities, your doubts. He's more interested with connecting with you just like you would a friend. If you waking up in the morning and say, man, God, man, yesterday was rough. I don't know what to do. Would you give me the strength to be able to make it through the day? Like he wants to know you like you know your spouse. He wants to know you like you know your brother, your sister, your friend. And at the end of the day, when you really get to know God, here's what you'll do. You'll serve him not out of duty, but out of delight. It's not something that you have to do. It, become, it begins to become something that you want to do because you realize how wicked you once were and how gracious he was in that moment. The second thing, this one is so big. Salvation is based on God's grace, not your good behavior. It's based on God's grace, not your good behavior. Now, let me clear this up by saying this. The greatest assurance you can have is knowing that your salvation is not based on how you feel when you get out of bed in the morning. But knowing that God is passionate about his name and that's why he saves you. Can I just be brutally transparent with you for a second? There are days that I wake up, I get out of bed, and I say to myself, I don't feel like being a Christian today. Because what is the first thing that pops in our head sometimes? That person that betrayed me. Like, God, today, you know, I'm just going to take a break. (laughs) I'm going to take a day off so I can really tell some people how I feel, (laughs) right? Or there are days when I wake up and I don't feel like being married. There are days when I wake up and I don't feel like being a father. There are days when I wake up and I don't feel like going to work. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But then here's what I have to remember. I have to remember the commitment is stronger than the feeling. And hold on. No matter how I feel today, my wife and I made a commitment that no matter what, till death do us part, we're together in this forever. When I had these kids that I made a commitment that I was going to be their father. And here's what I, I want you to understand. So many of us base our salvation on our feelings rather than the commitment that God made to us through his son, Jesus, on the cross. Here is what Jesus was saying on the cross. There is nothing in this world that can disqualify your worth. Nothing. There is nothing that you can do that will be too ugly, too bad, too horrific for God to help you with. So I'll read a story to you in Ezekiel 36, 16. And let me give you a little context before I read it. So Ezekiel, at this time, God is frustrated with how the Israelites are living. They're living this crazy, licentious lifestyle. They've completely rejected God's commands. They've completely rejected his laws. They're not living as the people of God ought to. And because of that, God now allows their actions to turn into consequences. 
So he piece by piece begins to dismantle Israel because of their their way of living. And all the people are going, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. I can't believe God is doing this to us. And then slowly when we get to Ezekiel 36, 16, it says that he starts building back up the city of Israel. But I want you to notice something. We're about to read it in a moment. He doesn't build it back up because they deserve it. Now watch this. Ezekiel 36, 16. It says this. Could you throw up that uh, verse, please? 36, 16. It says, it is not for your sake. Let's pause there. God's about to intervene. God's about to save people. And he's going, I'm not doing this for you. Watch this. It's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. We don't have time to read it, but I'll just give you a quick summary of it. 13 times in 11 verses, God says, I will do these things because of my name. My name. Now, this seems a little backward because we live in a culture now that says this, like, well, God loves you because you're beautiful and which is in a lot of ways, which is true. God defines you as worthy. God defines you as worth it. But I want you to know that God does things on the basis of advancing his name. It is the reason that he saves people. You say, well, that would make him a jealous God, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Now, I know this sounds backwards to a lot of our culture, right? God advances and God moves and he works in other people's lives because he is passionate about his name because he knows that it is only underneath that name that people actually change. So what does he do? When he saves somebody, what happens? When true salvation sets in, all of a sudden a story begins to formulate in this, this, this person's life and it begins to affect every single person around them. There's not a single place in the New Testament that you can find where Jesus heals somebody and then he always follows up with this. Go back to your hometown and tell everybody what I have done. Why does he do that? Because he's passionate about advancing his name. So this is good news though. This is good news because this means that God doesn't save you on the basis of you being ready for it. God doesn't save you because you finally got to this place where you cleaned yourself up enough and he goes, okay, I can save you now. What this means, it doesn't matter what state, what condition, how far off you've gone off the path, where you're at in your life right now, it means that God leans in. He says, no matter where you're at, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I can save you. This is good news. The third thing is this. Number three. Be confident that God is at work and don't trust your emotions. Be confident that when God starts something in you, that he will be faithful to complete it. I think the reason that so many of us struggle with our security, specifically when it comes to salvation, is because we have turned salvation into a ceremony. Meaning this. We... (laughs) We think salvation is about, well, did I cry enough? Did I repent enough? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I confess enough? Was I sorry enough? Now, this will seem backwards for just a moment, but hang with me. Repentance and faith are not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Repentance and faith come out of us finally surrendering and submitting our life to the Lord because of we begin to understand where we were once at 
and he leaned in to save us, no matter what we've done, we begin to repent and we begin to have faith and we begin to move forward. Your assurance cannot be based on your feelings. Now, here's the million-dollar question, though. What do we do when we don't feel like God loves us? What do we do when we don't feel saved? (laughs) What do we do when we don't feel like God is forced? What do we do when we don't desire to pray? Is anybody honest enough to say, there are, yeah, I know I'm saved, but there's days where it's just like, you know what, I don't feel like connecting with the Lord. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like doing any of those things. And maybe you begin to start to question God's ability to work in your life. So what do you do? This is going to seem counterintuitive, but it can be the most helpful thing if you allow it to seep down into your soul. You have to rest in the commitment that God made to you. Rest in the fact that when Jesus went and he displayed himself on the cross and he died for each and every one of us, it was literally like drawing a line in the sand saying there is nothing in this world that could ever happen, past, present, or future, that will ever disqualify your worth. So it means this, no matter where you're at, what you've done, who you are, you can always come to me. I am so thankful that my feelings are not the final say. The final say is what happened over 2,000 years ago. The final say is not how I feel when I wake up in the morning. The final say is not how I feel during the week. The final say is what in what Jesus did for me. So let's real quickly talk about this, because I think that we get this confused, and I know probably some of us are still somewhat wrestling with this, of going, like, That's, this is great, I understand this, but I'm still wrestling with assurance. I just, I'm not really sure that God has committed to me. So let's separate some things. I want to give you two things really quickly. Number one, if you claim to believe but there is no life transformation, it's not salvation. If you claim to believe, but there is nothing changing, it's not genuine. So let me give you a little bit of research. Four out of five Americans identify themselves as Christians. Four out of five, that's 80% of the population. That is higher than any other country in the world. Four out of five Americans believe in Christianity. But less than half are involved in the local church. Less than half believe the Bible to be accurate. So they say they believe in God, but they don't believe in the Bible. How counterintuitive. The overwhelming majority don't have a biblical view of the world around them. And most self-proclaimed born-again Christians, research shows that they are virtually no different in lifestyle than the world around them. They believe just because they prayed a prayer when they were six years old, they're sealed and they're on their way to heaven but they don't actually understand what a genuine relationship with Jesus looks like. Now, you have heard me almost for the past five years. You know that I'm not saying that we are to attain perfection. How many of you know that's impossible? I feel like I'm on safe ground to say for the last five years, we've tried to create a safe, vulnerable environment where we can all struggle and be okay with that. So I'm not saying that anybody has to be perfect. If that was the gospel that I was preaching, I might as well quit now. Because there's not a single person that could take on this role and be perfect at at executing it. There was one, and his name was Jesus. That was it. So we're not going to attain perfection, but here's what we, we have to understand. If we have received this great gift of salvation, 
we can, if we are changing and we are making progress, then you're fine. If you are asking the question, like, man, did I do that? Did that break God's heart? The very fact that you're asking that question shows that there's something going on in the inside of you. Lost people don't ask that question. They don't care about grieving the heart of God. They don't care about their sin. They just do what they want to do, right? So let me explain it to you this way. Let's say the church service kicks off, Madeline and the band, they do the three or four songs, you guys worship, church is going great, Ryan comes up here, he delivers the announcements, and the 30-second countdown, we're shaking hands, lights come up, I'm supposed to be up here, lights come up, and there's nobody here. All of a sudden, it's a little awkward, right? Kind of, okay, what's going on? So we wait about five, ten seconds, nobody here. And maybe at first, you're like, okay, maybe they're trying to make a statement, maybe this is part of a sermon illustration, what's going on, right? A minute passes, nothing changes. Two minutes pass. Now people are starting to wonder, like, what is going on? Ryan comes up here. He's like, listen, I I can't find Pastor Zach. I don't know where he is. 15 minutes pass. 20 minutes pass. By this time, people are frustrated and leaving, right? 30 minutes pass. I stumble through the doors. I run down here, and I go, okay, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm out of breath. And I say, okay, listen, let me tell you what happened. I was on my way up here, and as I was on my way up here, I got a flat tire. Believable story. Okay, I get a flat tire, I'm changing this flat tire, I'm putting it on, I kind of step out on the road, and as I step out on the road, boom, a Mack truck runs me over. 18-wheeler. It runs me over, and I get right back up. (laughs) I go back to changing my tire, and now I'm here. How many of you would believe that story? Nobody. A few of you might. Why wouldn't you believe that story? You wouldn't believe that story because I feel like I'm on pretty safe ground to say if I got ran over by an 18-wheeler, I would look a whole lot different. So I feel like I'm also on safe ground. When you come face-to-face with the grace of God, you can't look the same. You cannot look the same. When you encounter what Jesus has so graciously done, you can't stay the same. If you claim the name of Jesus and you say, man, this is, I believe in him, but there is no life transformation. Listen, it's okay because now you have the opportunity to say, well, maybe I need to make a decision to fully follow God. There's there's a difference between an experience and an encounter. An experience is this, and you can feel it all over the place. How many of you have ever been to like this awesome concert and you just feel something in your bones? You know, it's like, man, this is just so good. You have this great experience. You leave the concert going, man, I just, whatever it is. In South Louisiana, who's the greatest performer? People say Garth Brooks is the greatest performer, right? I disagree. But anyway, fight with me later. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you, you visit this concert. Maybe it happens in church. Maybe the song is going on or maybe the sermon, and you feel something. You go like, man, I can really connect with that. That's an experience. And here's how you know it's an experience. You know it's an experience because you feel it. It's there for a moment, but then you step out on Monday and you don't have it. The experience cannot carry you through the week. An encounter is this. You feel it. You know that God is real, but then it also brings you down to this place of going, I can't stay this way. I can't stay this way. I have to change. So there's a progress that is made. Number two. People who claim to be Christians when their lives look no different than the rest of the world are not Christians. 
We have to understand this. And I'm not saying this to be harsh. I'm just saying this because I think that this will set some of you free from this false assurance that many of us have. Because my hope in all of this is that some of us can go, you know what, I am saved because I am making progress. And some of us can get to the, the realization of maybe the enemy is actually blinding me. Maybe I'm believing some false things. Maybe I'm just having some experiences and I've never really encountered God. And there's no problem with that. This is the most beautiful news in the world because Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, laden. I'll give you rest. So it means you can come right now. Now, I feel that we also struggle with this. As I mentioned earlier, so when my dad, before he had planted a church, we were traveling all the time, all the time. He was, pre, he was like a, a, an evangelist who traveled from church to church, from state to state. And um, we lived in, we didn't, we, we, we lived in Lafayette, but we were always in this little van traveling. And in a lot of ways, it was fun as a kid. And um, my dad had this very radical conversion story. And after, th- of me hearing thousands of messages, I literally could mimic everything that he was, I knew the punchline, I knew what he was about to say, I knew his point, I mean, if my dad got sick one day, I could stand up and preach the message word for word of what he said, because I had heard it so many times, but I remember being about 15, 16 years old, and hearing the same message over and over, and about 15 or 16, being super discouraged by hearing his story, because his story went something like this, you know, when I was 10 years old, I heard my mom and dad fighting in the bedroom, And at 10 years old, I busted the door down, and my mom was bleeding. My dad's knuckles were bleeding. They were both fighting each other, beating on each other. And he said, the next night, we're all sleeping in the house, and my mom gathers up me, my brother, and my sister, and we flee to Arkansas. The FBI were looking for them for six months. They had hidden out in the hotel. Nobody knew where they were. And then his mom marries another man who has immense amount of money, immense amount of money. And begins to come into this family of extreme wealth and basically can have whatever he wants and ends up getting into this lifestyle of partying and drugs and girls and alcohol, all this sex, drugs, rock and roll. It was the epitome of his story. And then at one point, he finally reaches his place in his life where he is actually at a concert, an ACDC concert. <laughs> And he said that this guy is beating on this huge gong. And he said in that moment, he said, when he hit that gong, the high went away, the buzz went away, everything went away. And he said, I heard God's voice clearly like, this is not bringing you satisfaction. You need to figure something out. And at that very moment, he went back to his mom and his mom knew Pastor Jacob Baranza, who's the pastor in our Lafayette area. Pastor Jacob came over to my dad's house, led him to the Lord. And he said, instantly in that moment, I got saved. I never had a desire for sex with people outside of my life. I never had a desire for drugs, for alcohol, for any of that. It just all went away. I remember hearing that story going, that's amazing. But I was also discouraged because I never had an experience like that. Because my story was not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was like, I, I was a church kid. <laughs> I was a church kid who was kind of frustrated and angry at God. I was a church kid who at 19, year old, at 19 years old was in Bible college and started wrestling with the fact that I don't think I believe in God. So my story looked a whole lot different. And what I had to realize in that moment is my faith, my relationship with Jesus was based off of my parents and I didn't have one for myself. It was based on how I grew up, how I was raised, what I'd been taught, and those, these were all the ideals that I knew, and this is how I'm supposed to live, Right? 
but I had never genuinely encountered God for myself. And at about 19 years old, remember going, I don't remember the day, I don't remember a certain time. I don't have, I can't point back like my dad can in May 19, whatever, 1986, I got saved. Like, I don't know what that is. But here's what I do know. I know that there was a point in a season in my life where God began to change my desires and my affections. And all of a sudden, this sensational appetite that I had towards sin, it didn't mean that it went away, but it slowly started fading, and I started walking in a different direction. The doubts that I had about God, the frustrations and the anger that I had with God, it slowly began to subside. See, the fruit of being forgiven of sin is the desire to flee sin. At the end of the day, God is not asking for for perfection from us. He is just asking for progress. Listen, it may be 0.12% progress. It's still progress. Maybe you're not as far along as you want to be, but thank God you're not who you used to be, right? God's saying, look, let's let's just make some progress every single day. Conversion is not a prayer. Conversion is not moral goodness. Salvation is not a regular churchgoer. Salvation is God intervening in your rebellion and saying, I know you weren't worth it, but because of my son, I made you worth it. He comes in and he offers you a free gift. We can't complicate that. Salvation is so simple, and I think that the church does a a terrible job sometimes of explaining how simple it really is. We try to formulate it, right? There's 87,000 steps of what you gotta do to get to 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 the Lord. Did you pray this prayer? Did you, do, did you bury that thing in your backyard? Did you, I mean, there's all these different things that we have, right? We make it about all these different steps. When the gospel is so simple, Jesus says, on this day, if you believe in me, whoever believes in me can have this gift. The process after salvation happens is where we complicate it. Salvation happens immediately. Sanctification is a very fancy theological word simply meaning this, that every day you should look just a little bit more like Jesus. And so here's what that means. For the rest of your life, you're on a journey to look a little bit more like Jesus. And there's some days you're going to take seven steps forward and then days you're going to take two steps backwards. But as long as you're making progress, that's all God cares about. It's not about the perfection. It's not about you nailing it every single day and every single time. But here's what I hope that this would do this morning is that maybe it would set some of us free in this doubt that we have. As I said in the beginning, there's certain risks that you will not take in life. There's dreams that God's put in you. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a family. And because of, on the basis of our own fears and the things that have happened to us in our life, we've gotten to a place where we've stopped dreaming because maybe it hasn't come through or maybe that hasn't happened and, and we're afraid. If we start dreaming about the business, the family, the, 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 the idea, whatever it is, you know what it is. You have to understand That if God is with you, if God has saved you, whatever season that you go into, he's going to be with you. He's going to be with you. 
If you go, you know what, God, I have this risk that I want to take. I want to step out the boat. I find it interesting. You guys remember the story of Peter stepping out of the boat? He sees Jesus walking on water, and the disciples at first think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, hey, no, no, it's me. And then, and then Peter goes, man, I, I want to do that. Jesus never looks at him and says, if you step out of that boat, I'll make sure that you walk on the water. He doesn't give him any assurance. He just says, come on. And Peter steps out and he begins to walk on the water like Jesus. Why did Peter sink? He sunk because in the moment, he had a moment where he goes, what if God's with me? Or what if God's not with me? What if this water that I'm walking on, what if I sink? And he starts to doubt God's presence in his life and what happens? He begins to sink. So the reason that we had to end this series with this is because there are certain things in your life you will not trust God for. There are certain things in your life that you've stopped trusting God for because you feel like he hasn't come through yet. Don't stop believing. There's a journey song about that. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Don't give up on the things that God's put in your heart because if you can be sure that he is with you, you can do anything. I'll close with this the very video that we showed you in, in the beginning with Matt and Becky, who have beca- Matt's literally become, and I don't say it slightly, he's literally become one of my best friends. We talk all the time. We live on two different continents and we talk almost every week. And Matt and Becky are no different than any of us in this room. Matt was a journalist, an atheist, who did not believe in God. He was working for a soccer team in England. God began to grab a hold of his heart. He began to go, you know what? If God's with me, then I can do anything. His wife had this encounter in the middle of Sri Lanka 15 years ago. She had a little girl come up to her in the street, and she saw the little girl didn't have shoes. So she just did a nice gesture for her. She said, hey, come follow me. I'll buy you some shoes, $2 pair of shoes. Tragedy of that story, that girl comes back and she says, um, do you want me to meet you in your hotel room? Meet And she was like, what do you mean meet you in my hotel room? The girl thought because Becky gave her a gift that she had to return her with sexual favors. So all of a sudden, one by one is birthed out of that one moment. These weren't special people. Matt, is an, Matt and Becky are average people just like you and I, but they're doing extraordinary things because they're absolutely confident that God is with them. It's no different. It's no different. When you are confident that God is with you, you can do anything. They're literally building orphanages all over the world. Literally. They've already rescued over 10,000 ladies out of sex trafficking in Sri Lanka. They're reaching 10,000 kids every day in Kenya. 36 kids just now that our, our church built the orphanage for in Pakistan that they bought out of slavery. Listen, it's not like all of a sudden they had this special talent and gift that God gave them. These are ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they're confident that God's with them. When they went to Pakistan and they were getting ready to buy this land, they needed about $250,000. They had about $2,000 in their account to pay for it. So they went there and they're like, we're going to do it. Made the commitment to do it. 
We've seen God provide for everything else, so why wouldn't we? In literally two and a half weeks, they had $250,000 to pay for the entire thing. Listen, this is how faith works. When you know that God is with you, you don't have to have all the solutions and all the answers. You just step out of the boat so confidently knowing that he's going to be with you. He doesn't, give you, he doesn't give you all the pieces. He just says, step out and I'll be with you. It'd be nice sometimes if we go like, God, I'm about to step. Are you going to be with me? Yeah, I'll be with you. All right, and then I'll, no problem, I'll step. It's not how faith works. And, it, and I'll tell you why it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because you need it to work that way. Because every time you step out and every time God meets you, what happens? Your faith increases. Every time you step out, God meets you, your faith increases. So now all the things in your past that you look at of going, man, I was taking a risk, you know that you can do anything at this point. <laughs> why? Because you're so confident that God is with you. So I want to close with this. Be confident that the dreams God's put in your heart, maybe to start a family and you're going, it's just not working. He's going to see it come to pass. Maybe the idea that you have to start a business and you're like, man, nobody in my family was ever successful. I don't know how that could happen. If you're confident that God is with you, you can do anything. This is not some type of motivational speech. This is reality of what we see in the scriptures. Why were the disciples so adamant about preaching the gospel? Why did it spread like wildfire? It spreaded like wildfire simply because they knew they only had about three or four years because anybody at that time that preached the name of Jesus was murdered. All of them knew, if I go into this life, it's a death sentence. But because they were living and they were a part of something that was bigger than themselves... They were willing to take whatever risk they needed to take. When you're confident that God is with you, there's nothing that you can't accomplish. Your faith will be so increased.